Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gosler. Now, today's episode takes us up to Marathon, Wisconsin. We sit down with head baseball coach and 2019 WBCA Hall of Famer, Steve Warren. Now, I got to be honest with you. I hadn't met Steve yet um, in person. I reached out to him because of his incredible career. Um, his team was just, you know, played uh, at Appleton this past year in Division Three with both of his sons on the team, which is a phenomenal story. And when you hear the story at, at sectionals at Viroqua, I mean, it, it, it's just one of the best stories I think I've ever heard in my life. Um, you know, multiple, multiple trips to the state tournament. I believe this was his sixth trip, a um, couple state championships, and just competes at a phenomenal Division Three conference in the Merrillwood. And, you know, what, what I love about this episode is Steve is an open book. And, you know, he's a self-proclaimed old-school guy. Now, if you're going to equate old school with stuck in his ways, you're not talking about Steve. Steve is a continuous learner, a constant improver, always looking for ways to get his program better, um, and just, you know, laid out so much of his program and, you know, his experience as a player and as a coach and some of the best stories along the way. And to be honest, this is one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded. And you know, men like him and coaches like him are what makes baseball in Wisconsin so special in every community. It's a phenomenal mix of a small school. It's got that Hoosiers type feel, um, you know, Legion tied in with the high school in a family environment. So without further ado, head baseball coach at Marathon High School, Steve Warren. Hey coach, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, for the listeners who don't know you, just kind of explain your journey in baseball. Where are you from? Where did you grow up playing? And how did you get into coaching? I grew up in a small town called Westby, which is southeast of La Crosse, about 25 miles or so. And uh, my father was the city work supervisor, and my mother was the junior high librarian. So um, growing up, that was that was all eyes were on me one way or another in the town and in the school. So there was no chance of getting in trouble anywhere. You might as well just uh, play sports and, and grow. And it was uh, probably a perfect place for me to grow up. Uh, my teammates and um, I, en- I enjoyed the school. I still consider myself a Westby Norseman. I always will be. And um after graduating from high school, then I, I played baseball for one year at Platteville, and I played for four years at lacrosse. And then during that time, I uh, coached the Westby Little League. I was 18 years old the summer after my senior year of high school, and they, they said, hey, would you coach the Little League team? And I thought, okay, now this is different because uh, I've played, but I don't know how I'm going to teach 12-year-old kids how to play. But that summer, by the end of the summer, I knew coaching was what I was supposed to do. It was just a transformation through through that summer. And I also benefited from, uh, I played football at Westby and basketball also. And three of my football coaches are in the Wisconsin Football Coaches Hall of Fame. And my high school baseball coach, Ken Trott, was inducted in the WBCA Hall of Fame in 1983. So I had four people as coaches that were a big influence. In fact, Ken was my little league coach, 
my high school coach and my legion coach and i got the same message all the way through from him and now to be honest i still use some of those fundamentals that i grew up with learning from him i base my program on those and i've just expanded and ken passed away a little over a year ago but i'm very thankful i had his influence and so that's kind of how i got started and then uh, once i got out of college i got my first teaching job and i continued to coach from from then on and tried to learn every year so you mentioned that you are in the classroom uh, what subject do you teach high school math and uh this is my 31st year of teaching high school math in Wisconsin and my 24th year at Marathon. So being a high school math teacher, um, how do you think that role helps you in the head baseball coach role as well? Well, um, probably the number one thing is organization. Um, I, I've heard Gordy Gillespie speak a lot at clinics and i i do think um he's one of my models that i've based my coaching career on and he always talked about organization because in the classroom or on the baseball field if you have stuff really well organized the kids don't question anything we go with it and that becomes more and more with experience when you're younger you don't really know what you're doing and that's then it's your job to go to coaching clinics and learn from mentors and um which ken trot was for me and a lot of the other people that i've learned from over the years but organization and then um i think there's a little discipline in mathematics um yeah you almost have to do it every day it's not how much you do it's that you do it every day and i think baseball is really the same it's not necessarily how much you practice but it's it's every day it's hitting the skill of hitting a baseball is what you call a perishable skill if you don't use it you will lose it and uh, my sons even um all through high school and growing up we they have basketball during the week but even in the winter we would go to the batting cage we go to a premier sports academy out in, in weston and we would hit once a week it was only once a week through the winter but i don't think you can just do that skill three or four months out of the year and the average person doesn't understand how difficult hitting a baseball is and so i guess those are the two things that maybe connect math and and baseball coaching well that's great um you know because we've had we've had teachers from you know social studies teachers like myself math teachers fayed and I feel like there's something different about math instructors and things build on themselves and you're constantly adding more and more skills. Um, and the organization piece is, is phenomenal. But I want to go back to your playing days. So, you, you know, you played at group playing at Westby, uh, well, played in, in you know, state school, finished at lacrosse. Um, what kind of player were you like? Give us a scouting report on yourself. And also, like, does that shape how you coach your team, you as a player? As a as a senior in high school, I was honorable mention all state, but I'm pretty sure that had more to do with defense than it did with swinging the bat. But um, I was an outfielder 
through most of my high school years and I was pretty quick. Uh, and by the time I was a senior, I could play outfield pretty well. And I played that at Platteville uh, my one year there. And then, and when I transferred back to lacrosse, they had much faster guys that could play the outfield. So I moved back to first base and I had played first base and growing up before high school. Um, one of the unique things I had was I played baseball in high school and Legion with a, a guy that caught in the major leagues for 11 years, Scott Service. And he and I graduated from high school together and watching Scott play every day. And I tried to keep up with him in practice made me a better player. And I, I did not have his ability, but I did have the desire. And that's where when he went on to play in college and in the pros, I went the coaching route because I didn't have the ability to do what he could do, but just being around him made me a better player. And so I was, uh, pretty good on defense, offense. I was, I guess you'd call a battler. I was the, I, I got a lot of walks and I was uh, a line drive and I'll take a walk when you give it to me because I'm going to steal second base on you sort of guy. And I was big on base percentage. That was, and my oldest son, Brock, who is now a freshman at Ripon College, he, he was the same. He, he was much stronger than me and, and a better hitter, but he was an on-base guy. Um, and, uh, well, any way to get on and that's, you don't see a lot of that. You definitely don't see it in the professional ranks. And even in high school and college, I've noticed the guys that will battle with two strikes and squeeze a walk out of the pitcher and whatever, you don't see a lot of that anymore, but that's the way I was. And, um, I had a couple of good years in college, but I got injured, had a shoulder injury and that's when uh, the good Lord is probably telling you, you know, you're supposed to be a coach. Why don't you stop this playing stuff? And I also played adult league and I had uh, good memories there too, but coaching was, was the route. It seemed to be for me, uh, destiny was pointing me towards. Thanks for sharing that. So you start off right coaching little leaguers, you know, 18 years old, eventually you become the head coach at marathon. So kind of for us that aren't as familiar with marathon baseball, like take us into the community. How does it start, you know, work us all the way from youth baseball up to the high school. Okay. Um, yeah. When it, I did the, the Westby little league, I coached in the summers through college. And then uh, when I did my student teaching, which was at La Crescent high school, just across the river from lacrosse and at La Crescent, I coached a freshman team. So I kind of worked a step up there. Then my first teaching job was actually in Milwaukee at Thomas Moore High School. And I coached the freshman there for six years. And then I went to Monroe High School down by the state line. And I was the assistant coach there for one year. And I knew I wanted to be a head coach, but it wasn't, I just couldn't find the right spot. And then one day out of the blue, I got a call when I was at Monroe from the district administrator at Marathon. I didn't know where Marathon was, I'll be in all honesty. I had to look at a map. Where is it? Oh, it's right by Wausau. I've never heard of it. And they were known for basketball for many, many, many years. But they had a baseball tradition, too. And um, so they called me, and I, I accepted the position. And when I got here, I looked at the field, and I thought, well, there's some work to do there. And then uh, they didn't have a summer team. Um, some of the kids played with the Wausau Legion, so I had to establish a Legion, Legion program. That was tough for two, three years. 
now now it's now it's going pretty well but it was a challenge but i knew that head coaching was probably something i was going to end up doing and it just took me a long it took me longer to get that head coaching position than a lot of guys but maybe that was okay cuz i was developing learning but when i got here our first season we were 5 and 12 and the community thought it was awesome and i thought oh lord what have i done here i mean where, where where's the next place i can go you know one of those deals because when you're younger you don't understand how long things take you want it to happen now and um but we did and then establishing the legion team that was interesting because our kids were so ingrained to play basketball all summer long they didn't have time for baseball. So I used kids from Mosinee, Edgar, and Athens to join us on the Marathon Legion team for two, three, four years. And then finally, kids realized, well, you know, we can play baseball and basketball in the summer. And that's what they do now. And we're pretty thankful they do. But um, we have a little league program. Uh, grades one, two, and three are the minor leagues. Grades four, five, and six are the major leagues. We have a what we call up here, we call it Bronco, which is seventh and eighth grade. They play, that's when they switch to the big diamond, seventh grade. And I actually include seventh and eighth graders. If they are interested and good enough, they will actually play Legion too. So both my sons played Legion from seventh grade all through uh, six years of Legion baseball. So that's what we have now. And I've been thankful uh, that a guy named Ron Kunkel, who is one of my assistant coaches, has been working with the summer little league program as his kids have come up through there. And, um, and they play, play travel baseball too. We actually have a traveling 14 and under 13 and under 12 and under teams for marathon, all put together by parents and Ron. And it's pretty good for a small town. Um, and the kids are pretty busy basketball and baseball in the summer and then some football and wrestling camps too. But, you know, I think that's the way it should be. I could never get in trouble in the summers because I had to go throw hay bales on my father or my grandfather's farm. And then I had a Legion game that night. And then I had to go to bed and get up to do the same thing next day and the next day and the next day. And it was understood if I threw enough hay bales, I could play Legion that night. And I think kids need to be into that. I think you get in trouble when you have kids that are idle. You know, when they're sitting at home playing the video games and not participating in sports year round, that's when they get in trouble. That's when you get the drinking party. That's when you get other things. If they're busy, usually things work out better. And that's an old school philosophy of mine, but I do still think that applies today. And I wish we could get it to apply even more. Well, I think you're going to find a lot of coaches that agree with you on that. You know, you, again, as a, as a dad of, of adolescence, as a teacher, as a coach for all these years, um, you know, history is on your side as well. Well, so, you know, we see the success of the varsity team, right? And we're going to dig deeper into that. But, like, tell us about your whole program. Do you have a JV program? You know, how many kids typically come out for tryouts? And, and how do you structure your tryouts? Well, the interesting thing is my first – season here was the spring of 99 we had 27 kids come out out of the 27 kids there was three or four that could probably play baseball at least in my opinion at that time 
and the 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 baseball program was kind of looked at at that time as being more of a I don't I want to say intramural is kind of how you compare it in college it was the real serious athletes went out for track and baseball was just something to do because uh, if I can't run track so that was a struggle then the numbers started going down a little bit and then through our state championship seasons we had 2022 so we'd have a JV team the interesting thing is when we won our second state championship in 2010, the next year, 2011, I had 14, 14 total kids. And from 2011 to 2020, I think 16 was the most we ever had. Um, the smallest number we ever had in the whole program was 11. And to be honest, that might've been the best year coaching we ever did as a staff. That was 2017. We had 11 kids and we played 23 varsity games with 11 kids. We never canceled the game. And well, we, we won nine of them, but only two were lopsided scores, you know, because you you had mainly freshmen and sophomores. But we learned how to coach that year in all honesty. And now finally, last year we had 20 kids and we had a, a JV and now this year we'll be about 18. And then finally in 2023, we're going to have a big influx of kids coming in. And then we'll probably have varsity and JV full time for several years after that. So um, even with the success we were having in this, the state championship years, uh, Marathon's a, a track school. And the kids go out for track and they're very good. Um, but part of the reason is, is practice. You know, as, as well as I do, how long and hard you got to practice to play baseball. It's tough. It's, it's the hardest game in the world to play. I have no doubts now at this point in my career that that is absolutely true. It is the hardest. Well, you can run your track events and in 45 minutes, you can be on your way home. Well, they look up on the baseball field. We're still playing catch. And a lot of kids don't want to put that much time in, but I've also been blessed, even though our numbers haven't been large, I've been blessed with some tremendous kids, character-wise and talent-wise. And those are the years that maybe you win the state championship, or at least you make it to state. And so it's not, for me, I've learned it's not quantity, it's quality. It's the character of the kids. But would I like to have 30, 35? Yes, but that's not going to happen in, in this, you know, it, this is a track community, but we still have a big baseball following. So I'll take my 20 and we'll be just fine. And so um, it's interesting. I, and uh, you had mentioned tryouts. We've <laughs> obviously we've never had to have a tryout really other than my first year because I didn't know who the players were. But we our tryouts are American Legion baseball. If you're an eighth grader and you want to contribute to the varsity as a freshman. And in the Merrillwood Conference, that happens every year. You need some freshmen to contribute. Then we get you playing American Legion baseball because we play doubleheaders. And in the second game of the doubleheader, that's when the eighth graders, ninth graders, sophomores play. And then if you're a freshman and you want to be a starter the next year on, you know, as a, as a sophomore, then you play all those American Legion games. We know the kids so well 
We know what they can play, where they fit in. So I go into every season already knowing who can do what. At a large school, like I know one of my good friends coaches Wasa West. And some of my other good friends are coaches in the, of large schools. They talk about needing a, a week of tryouts. And I, <laughs> I kind of laugh at that going, I have no idea what you're talking about, but if you got to do what you got to do it. And they talk about having 50, 60 kids try out and having like 15 seniors. I have no idea what that's like, but I think it, for where we're at, it's okay. You know, I, I, I prefer to have the kid that I coach in the spring and the summer and I know exactly what he can do. And more than once we have found out a kid could pitch by throwing them out there in the second game of a Legion doubleheader and just saying, Hey, can you throw an inning? And the kid is all nervous and he's sweating and he turns white out there. And all of a sudden he gets three outs, he comes jogging off and we all look at each other and go, I didn't know he could pitch. He can pitch. In fact, our, um, our senior catcher this past spring, we found him that way. We, we needed someone to catch the second game of a doubleheader when he was a sophomore. His name was Mike Hahn. And he goes, yeah, I'll do it. And all of a sudden, it's like he can catch. Well, he he was a starting catcher in a state semifinal game this spring. And, you know, you can do that at small schools, whereas a large school, it might take you some time before you, you really know what a kid can do. Yeah, well, what that's that's amazing. And back to your tryout point, I think the biggest number I heard last year now last year, you know, with coming off of the COVID year of 2020, there was a school in the Milwaukee area, a large school that had 122 kids out for baseball. Um, but anyways, um, so now you got your team, right? You're off and running when, when, when the, I shouldn't call it tryouts, when baseball begins, when we allowed to coach our kids. Um, but like, take us into your varsity team. Like, are there any unique traditions you guys have, um, you know, to make that experience very, very special for those boys? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think the connection of the high school team to the Legion team, it's kind of understood now. The kids go, yeah, we're going to try to win the Merriwood Conference in the spring if we can. We're going to try to advance in the playoffs if we can. And we'll go as far as we can. And if it goes to state, great. If not, a couple of days later, we're going to switch uniforms and we're going to try to do the same thing in the summer. And uh, we were very fortunate this past spring with both of my sons on the team that we made it to state in high school and Legion. And we've done that a couple times, but um, one of the traditions is, is something simple, but it, it's our, our pinstripe uniforms. They won, uh, before I got to marathon, they won the state championship in 1992 and they wore the pinstripes and I kind of like those. And I've many times people have said, Hey, don't you want to get some new uniforms? I go, well, they are new. They're just new pinstriped, you know. I think we're going to keep that. The, could you imagine the New York Yankees wearing something else other than the, the pinstripes? I, I That's just a tradition I think we're going to keep here forever because that is a connection through all the years. And I think there's something positive about that. Um, the other thing is I think the way we practice and, and to be honest, the length of our practices are longer than most people would do. But again, I'm old school and I know in my heart how long it takes to coach a baseball team. 
and you you know this as well if you practice six hours a day 365 days out of the year you'd still never be able to teach everything that has to be taught it just it's too much but we put our time in and the kids accept that now and you know we'll go two and a half hours in normal once in a while we'll touch three but as we get through the season we might decrease that a little bit depending on how many games we're playing in a week you know the games get backlogged but um that that's another tradition um so it's it's just maybe the the way we approach things it, it's i'm an old school coach but i'm learning new school concepts all the time and what i have to do is i have to sift through those concepts and so the the traditions you know some of the things we still that we did with the state championship teams mental training um i have cds from brian kane ken revisa we still use those we'll listen to them on the floor of my classroom before we go out to practice sometimes we'll listen to them after practice that's a tradition a lot of schools don't do that the mental part of baseball is so huge and i didn't know this when i played although i would have been a better player if someone would have taught me this back then but in the middle 80s that was not something we re anybody really talked about but that's a tradition. Um, but I think, uh, well, we use eye patches when we hit sometimes the kids give me a hard time and thunder sticks and sometimes we'll put a foot in the tire and there's little things I pick up that other programs maybe don't do. Um, fielding with pancake gloves. It's, it's things I think make the game interesting, but at the same time, training techniques that teach they become traditions after a while where you'll have an alumni guy will ask a current player, you guys still use those little gloves when you field on defense? Do you still use the little balls? We have a machine that throws smaller baseballs and they, they start a conversation like that. It's kind of fun to listen to that. So those are maybe some things. Um, I don't, I'm trying to learn stuff all the time, but you know, it, it's, um, I think the, the Legion connection to high school, though, is a, a big tradition, and hopefully it'll stay that way for a long time. Well, you just gave us so much there. All right, so I got to dig in on a few things. All right, the, the length of the practice, you said, you know, usually two and a half, maybe up to three, but I got to imagine the way you structure your practice. So um, I don't know, it, it, most schools in the state of Wisconsin, right, we don't have turf. You know, you're, you're in, you're probably indoor for most practices, right? If it's nice outside, you're playing a scheduled game or a makeup game. So I'm guessing you're doing a lot of indoor practice. Like how do you use your indoor space and how do you run the most efficient practices? Yeah. The, the, let's say you're going two and a half hours. Well, you have to break that into pieces and you have to be very efficient with the pieces and you got a, a fast pace is okay. Um, but a lot of the baseball clinics I've gone to the last few years talk about get them out of there in two hours, get them out of there in hour 45. They can't concentrate any longer than that. Well, the average high school baseball game of seven innings is at least two hours and 15 minutes, unless you have two good pitchers throwing. And with the pitch counts, those two guys usually don't go all seven. And so even the last two innings can take a long time. You got to be able to focus in and out 
through that whole seven innings. So I think you need to practice at least as long as the games are, if not a little longer, because you want your guys to be at their best in the seventh inning, in all honesty. So, yeah, if we're inside, we will include the mental training. We'll include weightlifting sometimes. And I don't usually go quite that long inside because, to be honest, being in a gym is not a lot of fun, especially if you have to be in there for a week or more. But when we're outside, we got a couple batting cages. we got the bullpens. You keep kids moving, and then maybe the last – half hour to 45 minutes maybe that's a scrimmage and maybe you put something on that scrimmage uh gatorade to the winners or something else and you can you can have a little fun with that because they're working hard but you can make it competitive sometimes we flip on the scoreboard sometimes there'll be an alumni pitcher that comes back uh especially towards when college is done towards late may and that kid will throw off the wedge and throw some good stuff in there and now we're competing so we you know there's so many elements from dynamic flexibility warm-up to throwing routine to all these things that i've learned over the years so really that two and a half hours can go by really fast and that's that's okay but um you know and then a lot of times my sons would stay after not that they wanted to but when dad said you're staying after you're going to stay after and hit you know but um that's okay they they were they learned that from the age of three so they didn't really question question it too much and we we also have the baseball academy out in weston where they have indoor cages with turf and we can go there and hit to get out of the gym especially if it's a long spring and we know everybody knows what that's like a couple of those aprils or we had a foot of snow in the middle of April or 20 inches one time in the middle of April. Well, then you got to be creative, but I just, I've never understood why at two hours, we got to go home because I have too much to teach. There's no way I can get it done in two hours. And, you know, so the kids are used to it now. We just have so much to teach them. They're hopefully constantly learning during that time. But I just, I have talked to other coaches that said, well, we go about an hour, 45, maybe two hours, because I really can't think of anything else to do with them. And we just, we're bored, we go home. I've talked to high school coaches and that's okay. But if, if you don't have something to teach them, you haven't probably gone to enough clinics and learned yourself because there you could teach nonstop. If I was coaching in a parking lot, I could go three or more hours on skills of pitcher covering first base and stuff that, you know, it's, um, I think the more you get in the game and understand how difficult it is, the more you understand how valuable practice is. So, um, but you know, not everyone's going to agree with me on that one. It's just, uh, that's an old school approach in knowing how difficult the game is. No, I, I, the same way I it's, I get uh, my kids laugh at me. My coaches think, man, another three hour practice, you know, and then, but here's the thing, like we have such limited time with our kids, right. Is we, you know, we only have X amount of practices. We only have X amount of nice days to be outside. And I think you hit it. You hit a really good point too, is we play a long game. Like you said, two to two and a half hours. That's just gameplay. That's not the hour of pregame. 
And if you want to win a sectional, right, you got to win two games in a day. Like there's just an, a level of focus that's got to happen um, that, that can only be trained, you know, in a certain duration of time. So I really appreciate you open that up. I really do. Um, I, I try to, I try to present it to the kids this way. I show them a schedule of the season and then I say, okay, you see late March, you see early April. And I tell them now, you know, half those games in April are going to be rescheduled to May. Now let's look at May. Do you realize what's going to happen in the first three weeks of May? We're only going to practice on maybe a Wednesday and maybe a Sunday. So we're going to hit it really hard at the beginning of the season until about April 20th or whatever. And yeah, we're going to work. And they understand that because you are playing almost all games in May and, and just the weather, the weather is going to do that to you. So and I think the parents understand that too. So like you said, exactly. We better make use of the time we have because there will come a time when it's game after game after game, and you better have them prepared at that time. No, absolutely. So, I mean, you've given us so much about your program and you as a leader, if you had to, and then don't be, and be humble, you know, don't be too humble here. I want to hear, you know, you're in a hall of fame, right? Which we're going to get to later, but like, what do you think is it about you or your coaching style that you think has, has bred some of this success? You might have touched on it already, but, you know, if you had to look at your strengths as a head coach, you know, what would you pinpoint? Well, my, my initial reaction to that question would be sometime down the road when I figure out I have some strengths, I'll get back to you and let you know what they are. But um, I... I'm still learning the game. And I think one of my strengths is the fact that I am still learning. I go to as many coaching clinics as I can go to. I went to more when I was a little younger and my kids were, were not into all, all their activities, but now I still try and I really enjoy being a student of the game and I'm still trying to figure it out. So that's probably a strength is, is the continual learning I'm trying to do. Um, I do a lot of reading. I've read a lot of stuff about Gordy Gillespie and her, her, I've heard him speak how he did things. I do a lot of reading about John Wooden, even though he was a basketball guy, he did like baseball. And I think a lot of what he was trying to do applies to all sports and really anything I can learn from another master coach, so to speak. But I think one of my strengths is my assistant coaches. And I, I thought a lot about that the last couple of days preparing for this. When I got to Marathon, there was a man named John Westfall. He was the only guy here who really knew anything about baseball. And he coached the summer team. It wasn't a Legion team, but he coached. His son had been a senior on the 92 state championship team, and his son had pitched for the University of Minnesota. Well, John and I, we more than hit it off. I, we literally shared the same brain. And for years, for 22 years, he was with me and he passed away a year and a half ago. And without him, I wouldn't be here. And, um, and I really mean that. John was a Vietnam veteran. He had my back so many times. We'd be in the dugout, he'd be at one end and I'd be at the other. And we, towards the, 
we coached so many years, we wouldn't even speak during a game. We'd look at each other after a play and then we'd just keep going and to know what the other person is thinking. And the, I've heard it said that um, God will bring into your life the people you need. Absolutely true in the case of John Westfall. John Westfall was the, I believe in 2002, was the WBCA assistant coach of the year. And he was the volunteer coach of the year in 2012 for the WBCA. And I lost him a year and a half ago, but for 22 years, he meant more to this program than, than me. He was a connection from the past into the present. Um, and then I have another good assistant, Tyler Schilling, who has been with me for 10 or 11 years. Doug Kaldunsky, I mentioned Ron Kunkel. And then another man named Bill Kinetter, who was a longtime marathon girls basketball coach. He liked baseball and I knew his knowledge along with John's. I knew I needed them in the dugout if we ever made it to state. And um, Bill and John were both there for the two state championships and the runner up. And they, they mentored me and they tutored me. I learned a lot from them. And so I think one of my strengths is a program, a strength of our program is our assistant coaches. They believe in what I'm doing and there is nothing more important than that. And if I was to give some advice to younger coaches, just starting out, you need assistance, preferably assistants that have a great knowledge base in baseball, but even if they don't, they are quality people, quality character, and they have your back at all times. And if you have that, your program can go wherever you can take it. But if you don't have that, it's not going to work. And I was blessed and I still am right now. And some days we win, some days we lose. But as a staff, we all believe in each other and they're all behind me. So that's a strength. Maybe I think one more strength that I'm a perfectionist, not that I want to be one, but I was born that way and I can't outrun it. Um, and perfectionism is a double edged sword. But the positive side of it is that I'm always looking for a better way to do things. And in practice, I want it perfect. I've come to learn it will not be perfect in games. That's okay. But we're going to make it perfect in practice. So in games, it's going to be pretty good. And pretty good is not bad for teenagers playing the game. And so those are maybe some, some strengths. Well, thanks for doing that. I know it's not the most comfortable question, but you know, hiring great men, having a great staff, um, you know, you talked about continuous learning and you've mentioned that a few times now. So I want to ask you that, like, what are you working on right now? Like, is there something that you're working on that you've learned recently that's made you rethink how you teach something? Uh, you've, you've mentioned your old school a lot. Well, old school doesn't mean it's the wrong school, right? I mean, so, so what are you working on right now, you know, looking into the 2022 season? Well, it, what I've come to learn is that this is a very individualistic sport. Each kid is different. And there is there are underlying basic fundamentals that I learned from Ken Trott and from John Westfall and Bill Kinetter and that applied to the whole situation and all you know the kids. But then when you really get down to pitching, grips on a baseball or mechanics, hitting, fielding, every kid's gonna do that slightly different. 
you have to really, yeah, I'm learning stuff in clinics now that may apply to these two kids, but not to these two. Well, that's okay. I'm going to make these two make it work for them this way. And even my sons are different enough that I had to use different approaches hitting wise for them. Um, it, it, it's, you know, that's one thing is right now I'm trying to, I don't know if you can have the time to individualize a practice plan for each kid, but you can do that somewhat. And I really think that's where my next move is, is in, in coaching is, can I organize it in such a way? And to be honest, I probably need a couple more assistant coaches. I've got a couple alumni guys that have moved back to the area that are going to help us on a part-time basis this spring. And you know as well as I do in that situation, you really could use one coach per player. I don't know if we're ever going to get to the one-to-one -one ratio, but um, the game is so difficult. You cannot tell every kid to hit a certain way, but you have to take that kid's ability and get them however they need to to get the barrel to the baseball on time. And for some kids, it's a beautiful swing, and for some kids, it's unbelievably ugly but the result can still be just fine. And so that's one thing I'm working on now is, is, is an individualized approach. Um, there's a couple of other things. Um, uh, you hear a lot about launch angle. Well, I was, when I first heard about launch angle and I saw it, you know, on Brewers telecasts and, and other, the MLB channel and stuff, and I started thinking, oh, this is not good. I cannot possibly teach that to high school kids, nor would I want to. And well, then you start looking at how effective that is in, in the pros. And I'm, I'm really thinking, I don't know who came up with this idea, but I understand elevating the ball. But if that results in strikeouts at the rate that they're striking out now, which is ridiculous for professional hitters to be doing that, I thought this does not apply to high school. Well. Then my oldest son, Brock, got about his sophomore year, was he's a pretty big into weightlifting and he, he bench presses well over 300 now. And he he's not the fastest base runner. And he was just scalding ground balls. And I mean, a third baseman would just get their glove in front of it or a shortstop. And sometimes there'd be a double play or there'd be a force out. And, you know, guy on third base with two outs and he just blisters one, but it stays on the infield and they get an out. And I started thinking, you know, it doesn't do him much good to hit it that hard if it's on the ground. And so the summer between, uh, basically it was during COVID when we got kicked out, he lost his junior year of baseball but during that spring and summer. When I worked with my sons every day, we started looking at how do you get the ball in the air? Because when you're that strong, I don't, when I see launch angle, we, I, I don't need 400 foot home runs. I just need the ball over the shortstop's head instead of at him and on the ground. And so we're, you know, launch angle is not fly balls. It's just get the ball off the ground. That's the true meaning of what they're, they're doing. And, and professionals take, it's taken way too far is like, Oh, home run or strikeout. That's awful, but not in, you know, in high school. Um, so I started working with him and I started thinking once we got him to elevate the ball just over the infield and these 
line shots turned into doubles. And once in a while he did a home run, but he's more of a doubles hitter. All of a sudden, you know, there's another kid that applied to, as I mentioned, our catcher, Mike Hahn. He's a strong kid, but he hit nothing but ground balls because he had a, he, he would roll over. And <laughs> this last spring on the first day of practice, I said, Mike, every ball you hit goes in the air this year. I don't care how you do it. Just every ball goes in the air. Well, he thought that was – no one had ever told him that. I said, just, just get it in the air. Well, he hit over 300. He had his best year playing spring and summer. In fact, he hit close to 500 in Legion. And I, I didn't really tell him how, because by the time you're a senior, you cannot change someone's mechanics. I just said, get the ball in the air. And he did. That there was, did no good for him to hit ground balls. Now, I had another kid who was a senior really fast. I told him, bunt or put it on the ground and run like crazy. So that's the individualized approach. So there are some kids that a launch angle mentality applies to. My younger son... A sophomore now he's six seven he's not fleet of foot so hitting a ground ball doesn't help him you know and i'm constantly on and get it over the shortstop's head or over the second baseman's head. and he understands that by the time he's a senior he'll be he'll be pretty good at it so you know um that's a, an idea that i've been playing around with that i changed my mind on because i thought it was launching was awful now the idea can be applied to high school it's just, I think it's awful the way they use it in the major league baseball, but that's, that's another story. But those are a couple things that every year I try to learn some two or three new things. Uh, last year I was watching a college baseball game on TV on a, a weekend and the, the center field camera had the shortstop holding the runner on second base. And I saw a couple things that they were doing with their glove as a signal to the pitchers okay, go ahead and throw it home and just a glove movement. And then the shortstop would get back in time to field. And the, the runner had to delay his secondary lead a little bit because the shortstop, you know, it was a, and I thought that's an easier way of doing that than catcher signaling or pitcher signaling or the infielder signaling with hand signals or whatever. So that was on a Saturday. I talked it over with my assistant Tyler on Sunday and Monday we put it in. And throughout the season, it was it worked much better for if they wanted to pick off. And I learned that from watching, I think it was LSU, but it was on TV. You can never stop learning. And I'm actually going to tweak that a little bit this year to a, a couple different things. But those are just some examples. Um, I do know that you have to learn every year that you're in this game until the last day. And then at the last day when it's finally done, maybe you can sit in a recliner and say, okay, I'll watch baseball and not worry about learning. But until that point, I think we all have to learn every day. That's phenomenal. That's like, yeah, I think the, the average person watches a baseball game, you know, they watch the pitcher, they watch the ball, but you're talking about watching, you know, what is the shortstop doing with his glove? Where, what, why is he moving his feet this way? Why is the third baseman moving back? And, I, I just, I love the the little idiosyncrasies of the game. I love it. Um, you mentioned your sons a few times. So this past season, 2021, you guys win your sectional, you know, you, you play in the semifinals at the, the, the state tournament uh, and you have the opportunity to have both of your sons on the same team. 
So explain what that meant to you and just kind of take us back to, to some of your favorite moments from the 2021 season. Well, um, <laughs> it, it's funny. Most people would think, how awesome is it to have your sons in the dugout with you? Well, they were in the dugout with me from seventh grade on through the, in the Legion, but this was the only varsity baseball season they would ever be together. And um, my older son, Brock, he and I share almost the same exact personality. And there are times that that's helpful. And there are times that is not helpful. And so by the time he was a senior now, we, I will only talk to him during games if I absolutely have to. I, the assistants will, but he knows what he's doing and I don't bother him too much because we can get on each other's nerves a little bit. And if I expect too much from him, the younger son is a much more laid back personality. So I'm constantly on him about how about a little discipline, how about a little effort and they're different. But as we went through the season, they both did, did well. And um, my younger son actually did better as a freshman than I had anticipated, handled it pretty well, pitching and playing first base. And then my Brock, my older son was a utility. He played pitcher and all five infield positions, uh, including pitcher and played everywhere, you know, first base, second base, third base, and short, depending on who else was pitching when he wasn't pitching. And so, and uh, he's at uh, a freshman I mentioned at uh, on the baseball team at Ripon College now, and that's a really good program for him to be in. But um, as we went through the season, you know, it was disappointing that Edgar and Stratford were so good. There's no way we could beat them and, and win the conference championship. So we knew that. We knew that our only hope was you know, to advance in the playoffs and get a little luck because the conference championship wasn't going to happen. Edgar and Stratford were outstanding teams, 10 seniors on those, both those teams. And they were really good. So we won the first two playoff games and then we get to play Stratford in Stratford. And um, it was one of those days where Brock pitched and we found out how many change-ups you can actually throw in a game and be successful because he couldn't throw his fastball by anybody, good curveball, but he, his changeup was working. We played well, and we, when we won the regional final, and we thought, hmm, we didn't expect to do this, but this is quite a way for them to end their senior year, you know, Brock's senior year and, and Grant, they're, they're one year together. Never in our my wildest dreams did I think we had a chance at the sectional. And then we, Aquinas was a longtime nemesis. And I know Scott Bagniski very well because we were college teammates at lacrosse and Scott's a tremendous coach. I, I just thought, well, I'm going to let Brock throw because uh, we'll see how many change-ups Aquinas can handle because that change-up, change-up. And we started, we, I had, we had never called pitches. The first year I was here, we called pitches. And then for 20 years, we didn't call pitches anymore. But Mike didn't have a lot of experience as a catcher calling pitches. And Brock didn't like to throw his changeup because all high school kids assume changeup is going to be hit hard. So my assistant, Tyler, said, you know, why don't we try it this year? I go, why not? Because then he forced them to throw changeups. And not just Brock, but our number two pitcher, Jaden Kettler. <clears throat> Jaden Keller, he... He did the same, and all of a sudden, nobody can hit the changeup, you know. 
So we get to the sectional semifinal and um, Brock ended up throwing a one hitter against Stratford in the regional final and a one hitter against Aquinas in the sectional semi throwing two thirds change ups and then spotting a fastball and a curveball. Of course, the fastball becomes much quicker. And um, if, if you throw enough change ups and so he threw two consecutive one hitters and I don't know how he did it. I just, I have no idea. And Aquinas is an outstanding team, but we put together a couple hits. And um, so all of a sudden I'm, I'm thinking this, we are playing in the sectional final and the other teams, Aquinas, Mineral Point was unbelievable. Marcus on and us and the other three teams, Aquinas, Mineral Point, Marcuson, were ranked very highly in the WBCA rankings the whole year. We, no one, we didn't even think we'd be there, you know. <laughs> and this is a part that I, you know, a lot of people aren't aware, maybe some of the people in Marathon are, but the field we played on in the sectionals was Viroqua. That's five miles from Westby where I grew up. I played on that Viroqua Park Bowl field. I played on there in Little League. I played in high school in Legion. In fact, that was my favorite place to, to play and hit, especially. So I'm on a field five miles from my mother's house. That field is about a mile from the hospital I was born in. It's two miles from the hospice center where my dad passed away just a few years ago. And, you know, my, uh, my mother was there for um, both, uh, both the games. My uncle, my mother's brother, and he, I don't think he's ever saw a high school athletic event ever, was there. And a lot of my friends, one of my best friends was there, a lot of people from Westby that I knew. And it's kind of like, is, if it's possible for the stars to line up in such a way on a certain day, that was the day. Because Marcuson and, and Mineral Point played a nine-inning game and they used up all their pitchers, thankfully, because we weren't going to hit their one, two, or three. But And then we get we go nine innings with Marcuson and it's one-to-one -one going into the top of the ninth. And then we scored seven because we, we just outlasted them. We, we just broke through. And Jaden Keller, our number two, threw, you know, that whole way. And Brock had to come in for the last eight pitches because he he had enough pitches left over from the first from the first one. He didn't he wasn't at a hundred. So we went through that whole sectional and two pitchers. And everything worked out, you know, that doesn't happen very often in a coaching career, but it does happen if you stay in it long enough. A couple other times in my career, I can think about when things go your way and driving home that night with my sons in the truck, I think is when it kind of hit me. It's like, you know, um, I guess we didn't expect this to happen, but it was um, pretty neat. And then, um, and then we made it to, to, to state in Legion too. And so I have those memories and that's, I'm pretty thankful for that because there's no guarantees in life. And it just, I just think maybe all the work that they put in from the age of three, all the way through all, all the baseball they played, maybe that came, came back to us on, uh, on that day. So 
definitely something we'll treasure. And the last thing about that day, it was uh, my wife and Pam and I's 25th wedding anniversary. So I think there were so many things going on right for us on that day. Maybe the other teams didn't have a chance. I don't know how to explain it. It was uh, just one of those things. But so I'll always remember that. And I'm pretty thankful that I had that experience. And I, that's why we're in coaching, right, is to have that experience a few times during your career. It's not going to happen very often. But when you have that, um, it kind of makes it all worthwhile. Well, thanks for going into such detail. I mean, that I think, you know, kind of listening to you go back to that time um, is just really powerful. So thanks for doing that. Um, you know, the other thing that can't take away from you is, uh, I know you're a humble guy, but, you know, the WBCA Hall of Fame. So kind of take us back to when you got that phone call and just what that honor means to you. Yeah, I remember I was at uh, <clears throat> was, uh, Thanksgiving Day 2018. I was at my mother's house. And my father had died the year before, but uh, Mark Fuller called me. I was at my mother's house and um, I remember that. And my first reaction to Mark was, um, well, Mark, are you sure? Because usually somebody with gray hair is the guy that gets that award and I'm not quite there yet. And because then he laughed at that and he goes, no. And I don't know, I don't know who for sure who nominated me. I have a couple guys I think did, but they won't admit it. But my two best friends in coaching up here, are Bill Coker at Athens, and he re retired from coaching and Dick Iverson at Rib Lake. And I think one of them or they both did it, but they won't admit to it. But I, I don't really know who nominated me. But when I got the call, I thought, I'm too young for that. In all honesty, usually you think of someone getting that at the end of their career. And I said in, in my speech, I made at the hall of fame and induction ceremony, I said, I still have another, hopefully 20, 25 years to go because I haven't even figured out the game yet. And I'm going to try to keep coaching until I do learn the game. And I don't know how long that's going to take because every, the more I learn, the more I realize I do not know. And then it's one thing to learn it. It's another thing to make a teenager do it. And, and it's, it's really interesting how this journey has gone, but for your peers to think you're worthy of that award is, you know, there's nothing more special than it coming from your peers. Your coaching peers know what you go through. They know your, the, the good seasons, the bad seasons that you've had. And that's really, you know, nobody else really knows what we go through. And that's why I think you got I, I, another word of advice for young coaches is develop friendships with opposing coaches even if they're a rival you know maybe you won't like everybody but there are older coaches or even coaches your same age that they'll be there for you you can learn from them they know what you're going through you can help them through a tough time they can help help you through that and uh, Bill Coker and Dick Iverson helped me through a really difficult time about seven years ago when I was um, getting ready to leave marathon actually. And, um, had it not been for their friendship and their mentoring, I don't know what I would have done, but I just, uh, I used the hall of fame day to, to thank people. I, I bought tickets. I think we had about 70 people from, from marathon there. 
former players, 13 of my former players. I wish I could have had them all there. Um, the principal that hired me, Dennis Ersted, I only got to work with him for two years and then he, he uh, retired. But, you know, and I, I told this at the, at the, the ceremony, Dennis Ersted is the only person who ever offered me a head baseball position. In my life, and this will be my 38th year of coaching coming up here at some level, he was the only person, you know, I've, through the years, I've had dozens of job offers throughout the state, math teaching positions, all with assistant baseball. Some of them very recently, I've only had one person ever offer me a head baseball position, and that was here at Marathon. So I guess that's God's way of saying this is where you're supposed to be maybe, but I wanted to thank him and all the people. And thankfully John Westfall was there to see that happen before, you know, a, a couple years before he passed, but my dad wasn't there, but everybody else was. And um, so I'm just, I think now my job is if I'm a, they call you a hall of famer or whatever. My job is to keep going. Cause I I've only scratched the surface. And I, there's so much more I think I can do. And I just try to be an ambassador for the game of baseball in Wisconsin and, and maybe a role model for some younger coaches who might need help here and there. So, Well, your, your passion just oozes, oozes in this interview. It really does. Um, so my last question for you is, and again, you got another 20, 25 years here is, like, what, what do you know now, you know, 30, 35 plus years into this? Like, what do you know now you wish you knew when you started? Well, you could write a novel on that. Um, if I could, I guess this is more advice for younger coaches, but here's what I've learned. The score on the scoreboard, to be real honest, is somewhat meaningless. Um my coaching record is somewhat meaningless because how many kids that we coach every year are going to sign professional contracts? I may never coach someone who does that. Well, then what am I doing? I'm trying to give them, yes, we're trying to win some baseball games and enjoy the sport and compete. And I like to compete for sure. But when that kid's done playing that season what did you give him that he can take to his next sports season or into college or into his life in the workforce that will help him be a success and what did you give him that will help him pass the game on to his children or maybe another team he coaches someplace and I know by the time I got to I don't know win number you know, 250 or 300 in Legion or high school, whatever it was, there was a point where all of a sudden the, the wins, it's not a huge deal, win or lose. I'm more interested in how are we playing? Are we doing things right? And am I giving anything to these young men that they can take into the rest of their lives? Because they're not going to be professional baseball players. And you know, if they win a state championship, they have those memories. Even if they win a conference championship, they have those memories. But even if they don't, they got memories of discipline, 
teamwork, character, hopefully, the right way to do things, at least in my opinion, in an old school opinion. And the advice I would give to myself 24 years ago would probably be um, the wins and losses will be whatever they're supposed to be. If you work hard enough in practice, you'll probably have more wins and losses. But the talent level you have in any given year determines that somewhat. But you can still teach your young men a lot of valuable things. And that's way more important than the score of the game and way more important than your coaching important than your coaching record. I, you know, that's society though. When we're a young coach and all of a sudden you see your name in print and next to it are those two numbers separated by a dash. And that becomes so part of your psyche when you're a young coach. Oh, I gotta make sure the I need a win. I need a win. I need a win. And for the first, and we're, we're all guilty of that. I was too, first part of my coaching career. And then there got to be a point where, okay, I've been there. I've done that. We, you know, I, I have, the numbers are pretty good, but I'm don't really care. I just, there's more important things that I'm trying to do. You're trying to build a program that allows young men to go out gain something from it and go out and be successful in their lives. And that's really what it's all about. It, nothing else really matters. And so that's something I've learned. I'm thankful I've learned it now. I wish I would have learned that, but I don't know if any of us can learn that right away. I think we have to go through the fire and that's, I think this is part of it. And, um, but if you're going to go through the fire, make sure you've got, assistant coaches and friends in the coaching community to take, to help you get through it. Cause you do need that. And, and, uh, and then if you do that long enough, maybe you have a day like we had in, in Viroqua this year on June 22nd. And there it is. Huge. Thank you. Goes out to coach Warren for sitting down with us today, taking time out of his busy schedule. Now, what you'll notice is that's a few episodes now in this, in this game with you know high school head coaches that have coached their sons um, either in this past season of 2021 or in previous seasons and you know I think we all put our dad hat on when we think about some of those moments if it's a state championship or not but just what it'd be like to share this passion and this love you know with your family and that's something that stands out to me like I mentioned the intro I mean you know Steve's got you know, a handful of state tournament appearances multiple state championships and he's out here talking about relationships and people and you know guys in the coaching community that he considers some of his best friends the guys on his staff and what that means to him personally you know his role as a teacher and a coach and just a guy who pours pours his his soul into this job and I again I'm just so impressed um, by everything that he does and it's it's no secret to why this success is happening up in Marathon and we just wish them continued success and I, I look forward to seeing you know Steve down at the ABCA here in Chicago which you know we'll, we'll all be down to in a few days um, as this is airing just a couple days before the, the convention starts but um, until then until the next episode just remember to subscribe and share um, please also look in the show notes I'm gonna start posting more contact information for these coaches if it's social media, if it's their personal emails, um, just so you can reach directly out to these coaches because there's so much there. 
Um, once again, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it and all that you do for baseball uh, in the state of Wisconsin.